0: How do you make sex abuse digestible to your average audience? Wow.
1: <laughs> Hello, I'm Eden, and this is Keep the Mess, Messy Conversations with Messy People where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I'm a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and wanted to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, chances are that others are interested as well. So welcome, fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend, Amanda. This was recorded August 4th, 2022, and it was the sixth one I did. Amanda and I had an incredibly funny, jarring, and heavy conversation. We talked about generational trauma, sexual abuse, mental health, and recovery. I enjoyed spending time with Amanda, and I'm grateful for her openness and honesty in talking not only about her own pain, but how she has caused pain in others as well. One thing to note is that unlike the first episode, I begin with a section from when I'm prepping Amanda for the conversation— This is something I'll do in upcoming episodes if there's anything important that comes up during that time. Content warning for talk about animal death, verbal abuse, racism, suicidality, as well as a lot of conversation about sexual abuse and rape, including some details. And lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them on all matters, or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things perfectly, but about people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting, communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair, so I ask for a listening ear and some grace. Alright, here is my interview with Amanda. Know that like I'm not gonna release something if you don't want me to release it. Sounds good. Um, and I'm gonna what is it that they, they say in um like sexual consent? I want
0: an enthusiastic, enthusiastic yes consent. Yes. consent, yeah. Like oh, enthusiastic
2: yes.
1: Yeah, enthusi enthusiastic yes, or a um, uh, just verbal like uh, confirmation. Yeah, not just an absence of a no, but a mm. a presence of a yes. I don't oh. remember what that term is, but I I love it. I think it's a very useful. Like, yeah, talking about everything.
0: About everything. I, so. yeah, that was like. Mm. That phrase, enthusiastic yes," or like the the presence of a yes, was like integral to me understanding or navigating sex mm. and navigating my own sexuality and things mm. like that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one that I still have to chew on. Um, yeah. All right. So, first question, how do we
0: know each other? We know each other from our sex recovery group.
1: I think it was just a couple of months ago, or is it? has it been
0: longer than that? I joined last December, I believe, yeah, I think so, I think, because I've been sober since I joined, and I do remember my sober date, which is December 8th, I think? Hmm. so, yeah, it's it's August now.
2: So it's it not just true. a couple of months. It's been like eight months. It's been eight
0: months. <laughs> oh, God.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we've sort of gotten to know each other a little bit from that, which has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, my second question, I just call it an intro question, but mm-hmm. uh, I ask it in a specific way. Uh, how would you introduce yourself, or what would you like people to know about you?
0: Mm. In general, I introduce myself as Amanda, a software engineer. Um, it really depends on who I'm introducing myself to, because I do have DID, so it really depends on who in the system, the this DID system, mm. is speaking and to who Mm. but in general I do introduce myself as Amanda software engineer a goofy duck duck. yeah
1: like that
0: yeah
1: is that the way that you identify
0: I think I personally don't identify that much as as being a software engineer yeah um because I'm I have an alter who is primarily the software engineer and he does like all the grinding all all the coding he's the one who goes to the office and I'm kind of just fuck around (laughs) just play Lego Star Wars hang out with my dogs I guess I would identify as a pretty boring girl i'm just a boring (laughs) person
1: you know i'm not sure that a boring person can own quail
0: that's true i do own 11 quail (laughs) now it's a it used to be 8 now it's 11 (laughs) although i think we might have to put one down because this rooster is aggressively horny and he can't stop like, pulling the feathers out of, like, the other quails. Not even just the hen, but the roosters. He's trying to fuck everyone. And he is getting beat up for it. Mm. Like, every time he goes for, like, a head, he gets, like, ganged up on and beaten up. Mm. Um, And a few days ago, it got really bad. His organs spewed out. Like his wound was so big and his organs just hung out of his side. And now it's quails are so, what's the word? Starts with an R. Resilient. Quails Mm. are incredibly resilient and Mm. they bounce back real fast. So the skin just kind of grew around the exposed organs. So there's kind of this weird lump I'm so he's he's huh. fine but he's just so aggressive that I I don't think it's safe for the other quails so I might mm. put him down today mm. we'll see so maybe I'll, I'll I'll only have 10 see it was I was goofy when I had 11 quails I was I wasn't boring when I had 11 quails but 10 that's kind of a, a round number <laughs>
1: I feel like I'm
0: rooting for this this quail. Now. Yeah, this underdog of a quail. Yeah. This hor- his name is Horny Boy. We got <laughs> a a separate cage for him just so he can like exist peacefully. But his yeah. eyes are swollen because he got beat up so hard for mm. yeah. Now I don't want you to kill him though. <laughs> now we're bonded. Yeah. Yeah, my my girlfriend fiance actually is very like same boat she, she really doesn't want to kill him and i'm just like let's fucking do it <laughs> let's, you can take like kitchen scissors and just snip the head off very quick and just <laughs> tilt it over. Hmm. is
1: is your fiance the person who wanted them oh yeah okay i'm right. like I think yeah. she sounds like more of the like big animal person. Oh, she is a
0: huge animal person. She's also a vegetarian, not for um, animal ethics reasons, but for environmental reasons. But she does have like she's very comfortable with the concept of killing an animal, but mm-hmm. I think when it comes to actually killing one of the animals that she bonded with, it's really hard for her. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, give me that Barbie doll and pop it off, you know. It's kind of the kind <laughs> of that vibe. Also, just not a born person. <laughs> not really. Boring. That's right. How would you define yourself? An animal killer, maybe. <laughs> uh.
1: Yeah. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> how, well, do I, how
0: do I respond to that? All right, next question. (laughs) Um, I will just clarify. I don't go around killing animals. I I was not that kind of person as a child who would, like, torment the squirrels or kill the ants or anything. I actually am of the opinion where if you consume meat, you better Mm. be very comfortable killing Mm. meat as well. And I think that's Mm. something I developed as a child. And that's why I'm, I'm pretty comfortable killing animals.
1: Yeah. No, I I understand that. And sorry for sort of judging you. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I I think that's important because right now the majority of us are so disconnected from the food that we eat. Yeah. Especially the meat that we eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is this literally bloodless thing. The, the meat that we get from yeah. stores, they have, um, usually, unless it's from a more like organic or yeah. whatever place, yeah there is no blood yeah. in it. And so, th- yeah, you, you don't have blood. You don't have a real creature in front of you. You have, uh, the sort of
0: presentable.
1: Yeah, this disembodied sort of meat.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And not only is the animal cleaned up for you, but you um, are completely removed from the process of how that meat is handled and presented. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, th- I think that's why it's really easy for a lot of people to just go to a store, buy a thing of chicken without considering how shitty industrial farming is, Mm. and, like, the mass production of meat in not just America, but just Western countries in general, is pretty Mm. awful. Mm. So I, d- I do eat meat. My girlfriend is a vegetarian, but I eat meat. But I only eat meat, like, quote-unquote ethically sourced meat. And who judges that ethics? Yeah. I suppose me. Am I qualified? I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's it's a goal that you're aiming towards. Yeah. Um, in a pretty imperfect world.
0: Yeah.
1: But No, I, I think that makes sense. You. You sound like you're pretty active in you want to be active in this world and you want to face what's uncomfortable
0: yeah instead of hmm. instead of passively living the life that is not only presented to me but is assumed that I will participate in. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like that comes up in other parts of your life?
0: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I think I tend to live a very non-traditional life Mm -hmm. from how I was raised. Mm. Um, I was raised, well, my mom is, she was born during the Vietnam war. She was born in Vietnam and Mm -hmm. she came to America when she was uh, in her mid twenties Mm. and she and my biological father separated and she, um, ended up with my stepfather, although they never married Mm -hmm. for like decade a decade about Mm. and they have a kid together but he comes from a very wealthy family they're all kind of wealthy fucks do cocaine (laughs) together kind of vibes Mm. and um I think the way I was raised could be traced back to how they grew up where my stepdad didn't want to live this uh Overindulgence, selfish life Mm. um they're kind of they're kind of awful to each other i mean that that's Mm. i don't know if that's accurate but that is my understanding of it they're very nice to each other but they do a lot of shady stuff they mean your parents oh no my mm, stepdad's family okay the wealthy fucks (laughs) and or i guess they're they're more like they're very complicit they're very complicit with a lot of bad things. I'd say mm-hmm. they're not actively malicious, but I feel like if you are complicit in maliciousness, you're almost as bad.
1: So again, passive.
0: Yeah, and my mom, well, her oh, my my fucking grandma, her mother. You can go ahead and put that in the recording. <laughs> I fucking hate this <laughs> Um She well, she abandoned them in Vietnam and started like a new family in america and we are in contact and we were close for a little bit our family was close for a little bit until i (laughs) fully caused a conundrum during christmas um last christmas and i was like "Mm, grandma you're kind of yikesy you're doing a lot of cringe things it was it's pretty bad um but she has a she also has a very like selfish attitude self-indulgence um well she did to give her credit she did escape the vietnam war Mm -hmm. she um her husband my grandpa is or was a soldier for south vietnam working alongside the americans and when they lost he went he went to a re-education camp he was sent there like right away and Mm -hmm. she had to escape because they were like actively killing people and she was also incredibly poor um mm. my mom always talks about how poor vietnam is as a country because of communism i'm not even gonna go into communism <laughs> <'Cause I'm- laughs> you know i think i just realized that
1: um you and i Uh, We both have connections to countries either that are communist or that were communist. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, yours with Vietnam, and Mm -hmm. then I grew up in Russia and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we're both very much taught about the evils of communism, which, you know, at least the way that it was performed in Russia and Ukraine were pretty, pretty bad. But uh, yeah. Anyway, you were you were talking about your grandmother, grandmother or your mother talking about communism
0: and oh, problems. My my mom talking about communism. Mm. My grandma fleeing, communism. Quote unquote. Communism. Quote unquote communism. communism yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean that was, the, that was what they, they. That's what. Mm, North Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh claimed that they were performing as communism. Mm. Um, I would argue that it wasn't exactly communism, but you know, you can argue that like America is a pure capitalist society. I would argue it's not very capitalist. Mm. So I mean, little pockets of things.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of bastardized yeah. versions.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think. One of the first books that you noted that you and I had, uh, was The Best We Could Do. Mm. Uh, That's a really good book. Um, which is about second generation, Mm -hmm. uh, Vietnamese immigrant talking about her family.
2: Yeah.
1: And I don't think I'd realized that your family, uh was Vietnamese. Yeah. Now I really understand why
0: you connect with that book. Yeah, it's of the... I think her parents and my parents are similar age. Mm -hmm. Or I guess she... My mom is in between her parents and the author Mm -hmm. age. But yeah, when I read it, I, I think my experience as second generation is very different than the book because my mom did date, like, an American white boy. Mm. Um, and I was brought up in a pretty white family where they essentially adopted me and called me their, like, Asian girl. <laughs> my stepdad side of the family.
1: Called you their Asian
0: girl? Like, the adopted... Oh we, the, ado- the we ad- adopted Asian Yeah, girl. well we adopted an Asian girl.
1: Now your mother and stepfather have a child together.
0: Yeah, he's a mixed baby.
1: You are not a mixed
0: Yeah. You
1: yeah. You you are fully Vietnamese. Fully Vietnamese. Sorry, I, I get confused with like oh, immigrant or like
0: Oh yeah, oh, all good. My mom and biological dad met in Vietnam and they're both full Vietnamese sure. um, I did a DNA test I'm 99.9% Vietnamese um had my brother there and then they moved to America because John McCain was like all the refugees come and party and so all the Vietnamese <laughs> <laughs> refugees came um
1: your party sucks come down yeah
0: your party kind of communist like, communism party <laughs> kind of whack <laughs> And that's how she ended up here. Because my grandpa, again, was, like, in, like, fought with America. And so they kind of had, like, first dibby dibs. Mm. First dibs. <laughs> mm. um, and, yeah, I have, my, my mom and biological father have three kids. Mm. And my mom has another kid with my stepdad, who is white. Okay. So that mixed
1: mixed um, mixed biracial yeah um yeah It's, it's still interesting to me that they um they view you both so differently
0: yeah and it's it's kind of weird um when I met my stepdad I was five and my brothers although we're like of similar ages they are like, one year older than me and three years older than me. And they have a completely different relationship with my stepdad. Right. Yeah. They pretty much rejected him. Mm. Um, He's kind of an asshole. And I think I was a very impressionable five-year-old. And I just, mm. like, ended up adopting a lot of the the traits that he had.
2: Mm.
0: And then learned, out-learned them or outgrew them mm. intentionally. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So you had step brothers and a
0: half sibling as well. I I have one step brother. My dad has adopted a kid. My biological dad adopted a kid and I have a half sister my dad's side. I don't talk. I don't like interact with my dad's side at all. Okay. I have two full brothers and one half brother. But I just call them all my brothers. We're all very close. Like, even though my brothers, and honestly me, reject my stepdad, we are Mm. very close with my half-brother, called my little brother.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I was sort of wondering, you know, how is that relationship that, that could be very complicated, but it sounds like you've managed to make, um, a connection.
0: Yeah, definitely moving out helps. Mm. Being separated from the forced interactions mm. help a lot um i think also i me moving out and getting a job and being fully independent from them mm. my parents helped me helped them realize that they can't control me and dictate my life and so mm. they have to respect a lot of the boundaries that i put up mm. Mm-mm, boundaries delicious was that immediately
1: after leaving or did that take some time
0: that took a lot of time Mm. um when i I moved out when I was still in college I was a senior I moved into my partner's apartment Mm. she lived closer to school so it made a lot of sense and my mom well for context Vietnamese culture is very much that you'd live Especially for the girls, you live at home until you get married. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: me moving in with someone who was not only... Like, I wasn't married to them. And she's a woman. Yeah. And she's a white girl. Oh, my goodness. Uh, What the fuck? It was wild. (laughs) Um, My mom loves her. So, it's all good. But...
1: Did she love her at first?
0: Honestly, yeah. Well... My mom has really bad memory problems, mm. <laughs> so sometimes she forgets that she likes her, mm. and sometimes she forgets that she was ever angry. Mm. It's a pretty complicated relationship, but luckily, my partner is so patient, and I. she says that I behave in a very similar way because of my DID, my, mm. and my partner su- suspects that my mom has like some form of m- um memory disability or something.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like she and your grandmother went through quite a lot.
0: Mm, that war trauma.
1: So that would make sense. I mean. Yeah. Um, PTSD often affects your memory.
0: Oh yeah, she. My mom definitely has PTSD. Yeah. Um, she like she never. I, she was born in an abandoned hospital that was actively being bombed at, and so she's, like, really scared of fireworks. And she says she doesn't know why. like, Mom, we all know why.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you bring up your DID again. Mm -hmm. Uh, It sounds like you feel some of it is perhaps connected to your family or your friend's history.
0: For sure. Yeah, well, DID, I would consider it as a subset of ptsd Mm -hmm. it only it can only develop during your childhood during um your your brain's formation
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um at around the age of seven um and you have to experience like pretty bad trauma for your brain to fragment and these frag it's pretty, it's like a a coping mechanism that your brain goes through during childhood that because it happened during childhood, it ends mm-hmm. up solidifying as your brain matures and mm-hmm. gets older.
1: How... Yeah, how did that go for you?
0: Oh, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it sucked. Yeah, sucks. I mean... Back to the initial question you asked of how I would define myself. I th- when I was younger, before I, I was diagnosed with D.I.D. by a professional, I would describe myself as like incredibly hardworking, um, honestly better than everyone else. I was incredibly conceited, mm. quite the egotistical maniac, I would say, mm. and I just thought i was a superior being i knew i was gonna get a job at a big tech company um i knew i was going to make like minimum 500k during my first few years Mm -hmm. i and this is because i was like explicitly taught this in my childhood Mm -hmm. hence my like why i ended up diverging from my stepdad's side of the family Mm -hmm. all these rich pricks (laughs) fucks <laughs> yeah so I, w- I was just like very used to this idea that this is what was going to be my life um and I was m- that was just my mindset and when actually I'll, I'll say what what was like the initial thing that led me to getting the diagnosis was my I felt like my mood swings were insane. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like it, it was, like, very apparent in my relationship with Marin. We lived together. And one hour, I would be super in love with her. Mm-hmm. And literally just within the next moment, it was instantaneous. I would be incredibly disgusted with her. Mm-hmm. And she thought she had DID because there the our environment at home was changing so much and um she's chronically ill so she's at the time she in college she wasn't diagnosed with anything yet and so she spent a lot of time being sick at home and just her her um direct interaction with me kind of drove her crazy a bit Mm. and she was doing more research on it and she was, like, reading these symptoms, and she was like, you know what? I think I have DID. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Um, so, anyways, I was I was pretty much going in between love bombing her and being really mean to her
2: mm.
0: and back and forth. And Marin, my partner, just said... You have to go to therapy and work through your shit, or else I can't. I'm not gonna be with you, I'm dumping you. Mm. Um, and this was this was also it wasn't just like being mean out of malice. it was, um, like part of me, and this is also part of like DID or sorry, not DID, PTSD, mm. where you can't tell if the like the people, like you. You just kind of go into survival mode. Mm. And I was, like, just constantly being triggered. This was also around the time that my biological father was released from prison. Mm. Oh, because he sexually abused me as a child. So that's why he's in prison. And that's why I have childhood trauma. And that's why I have DID. Yeah,
1: just, like, slip that in there. <laughs> <laughs> just <casually. laughs> For
0: context, I've been diddled as a child. Mm. Yeah. And... And so I was just constantly triggered and I was taking like heavily taking it out on Marin. Um, and I feel really bad about it, mm-hmm. but luckily we're, it's, it's been like many, many years and we are engaged. So it worked out. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I like on one hand, I really didn't like her because i I was like, I'm not even attracted to her. Mm-hmm. I don't. Like, I love her, like, family, but I don't like her. I don't want to be with her. And then on the other hand, I want to spend the rest of my life with this woman. Mm. Um, She's so sweet, and she's so kind, and she's so patient. And I love how much she cares about the environment. And I love how passionate she is, and I, I love how she treats her friends and family. Um, and so I decided to go to therapy. And, yeah, it was very clear that it was very apparent to my therapist that I had something wrong with me <laughs> mentally, because I started, I had a panic attack immediately um, during the, not even the first therapy session, but, like, the intro conversation mm-hmm. of, so, what's up? Who, poof, starts crying, yeah. starts sobbing. Um, and then we decided to continue meeting, have a little, a few more sessions, and then She, oh, I started describing how I perceive reality in a very dreamlike state, Mm. like, just very dissociated, Mm. like, just incredibly far away, and sometimes I can, I I can see out through my eyes, and sometimes I perceive myself as, like, as an external person, Mm. And sometimes I view myself like I'm watching TV, and I'm the main character. Um, it changes a lot, and so the the phrase "dream like," dream like, mm-hmm. was kind of interesting to her. Usually, that means some kind of dissociation.
1: That is very familiar to me. Yeah. From from personal experience.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, so I take an assessment about general dissociation score really high on that take another assessment about trauma or something says yes you have hella trauma like that's (laughs) fucking good
1: that's your your (laughs) that's
0: (laughs) hella trauma um and then i take this really long assessment meh like a thick pamphlet and just going through questions with my therapist and like I've never even I've, mm. I've only ever heard of that from my partner and my I love I love her and I love her family so much but her mom is quite the WebMD freak mm. and so I just kind of assumed it was one of those and I was like no 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 and it, it just kind of um well I was just so confused like I had I had no idea what it was
1: but and it has a really mixed history yeah. in America especially with like yeah psychopathic like, yeah for murders, sure things like that and also yeah. a number of people thinking that's bullshit so like, yeah I mean,
0: including yeah, the other including I'm, I'm, me like I'm yeah. like um, yeah, I, I think I'm
1: beginning to like understand a bit more over time. But yeah, I, it sounds like all of that was going through your head.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. For like a really long time, two years. Mm-hmm. I was. I think I was diagnosed four years ago, and it took two years for me to finally be like, "Oh, fine, maybe I have DID or whatever the fuck." Mm-hmm. Um. It also called multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm and yeah the number of people that I that have asked me if I was gonna kill them surprisingly high (laughs) yeah
1: like do you mean like jokingly or
0: no like they will just be like I mean some of it is a joke and some of it is like do you have any urge to hurt me Mm. and I'm, like, not from my DID, but from, like, a stupid question like that. Maybe (laughs) I want to bitch slap you, but that's... Mm. And that's... Mm. So so I'm working on a graphic novel right now. Mm. And it really is to, I guess, perpetuate... Or demystify Mm. DID and show people this is something... You shouldn't fear. In fact, it's incredibly scary for the person with DID. Mm. Um. Yeah. I forgot what I was saying. So many segues. Um. So you, you
1: got this diagnosis of hella, <laughs> hella traumatized. Yeah. And Did and you're confused. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm.
0: Yeah, well, I I guess I'll just ask, how do you experience D.I.D.? DAD? Mm-hmm. It's much different now than it was a few months ago, even.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Lots of therapy. I do therapy twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, a lot of people are, are really surprised when I say that I have D.I.D. because I work at a really big tech company and i'm very good at my shit and i think this is just a common stigma with mental disabilities is that if you have one you are well jude oh what's his name diaz she, oh you know, know, you know diaz? diaz you know diaz yeah i wrote a short story similar that that was a very like integral part of my college experience as a side
1: very interesting writer
0: yeah for a number of reasons oh yeah also sexually abused in childhood and then sexually abused people
1: (laughs) yeah
0: oh the yikes it happens it happens sexual abuse classic a classic conundrum
1: um
0: uh, you were saying, saying when you have a mental disability. Oh yeah. When you have a mental disability, especially in the workplace, kinda has a stigma that you aren't capable. And I think because I am so good at my job,
2: mm.
0: it becomes it was very surprising for to tell people that I needed a break or else I was gonna have a mental breakdown mm. um, because it I had to suppress well bef- before I he- healthfully processed my DID and my depression and my anxiety and, and my trauma and all the things that comes with it I took the approach of suppressing it and just throwing myself into my work mm. and it worked for Uh, like a month and then I got in trouble with my manager for not doing any work and I thought I was actually doing really well that's like that's like the nice thing about DID it hides you from reality a lot of the times Mm -hmm. it hides you from a lot of painful things that happens in your reality and for me I didn't realize that I was actually spending days laying in bed doing nothing or Mm. i would i would go brush my teeth and then lay on the bath mat and just lay there all day and do nothing Mm. and i didn't i didn't even know
2: Mm.
0: and then suddenly yeah just got a thing from my manager being like you didn't do anything Mm. and and they're not gonna they weren't gonna fire me but they did put me on like a notice which is why I've been grinding so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that was like the first time and then it happened again, not as bad. But I still have to grind a lot mm. to like play catch up for these all, all the times yeah. that I've missed work.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess now they believe
0: me. <laughs> yeah. I think it wasn't so much them believing me it was more like me believing myself mm-hmm. that I even had it I it, it took a really long time to admit that I had DID and then when I finally admitted it it took an even longer time to admit that I needed help mm-hmm. um something that I really struggled with throughout my life since like my first experience to <laughs> sexual abuse I guess was that I really didn't want it to affect my life like I really did not want these men in my life to have such a big like have such a big impact on me in such a negative way and instead of healthfully dealing with that and processing it and allowing myself to feel hurt and feel the pain and cry I just s- swept it off my shoulders and continued on up until, yeah, 23 when I started work. And then finally, everything spewed out and I couldn't control it anymore.
1: I'm actually just thinking right now about the way that you told me that you were sexually abused. <laughs> just like, oh, by the way. And just like saying a bunch of things and then like you know, cruising on balance, <laughs> like even that was, um, this way of talking about pain, but like utterly avoiding like <laughs> <laughs> anything that, that might be painful.
0: As yeah. Comes up. I think definitely intentional. It took a long time to get to that point. Well, uh, I would say I used to do that a lot, but internally I would feel like I was about to cry where now it's just one facet of my life that I do just bring it up as, like... a side note, this is, like, some background. I, like, broke my leg when I was a child. I was sexually abused as a child. I really like eating watermelon. It's just a thing. Maybe some interesting background information about my character. Mm.
1: Yeah, I I definitely felt it hit me. Um, I mean... Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not like it's a huge surprise. I learned that actually many people who I talk to, <laughs> especially those who um, have had uh, addictive or compulsive behavior in any way. Oh, yeah. This is usually in their background. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, it's still like I could still feel it. I,
0: oh, yeah. It drops. It drops. Yeah. Um, for me... I, growing up, I wanted so badly for it not to be a big deal in my life that I purposely avoided it. Or mm-hmm. if I had to talk about it, I would just throw it out there and move on, even though I was, it would hurt me so badly
2: mm-hmm.
0: emotionally um, and physically. Like, it's it's physically painful, mm-hmm. especially for people with trauma.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I would just, I, I I just knew at some point I was going to have a panic attack where yeah. as now I am also just casually talking about it but I don't feel like crying anymore.
2: Mm.
0: And a big reason for that is I I made intentional efforts to process it and mm. talk about it and not isolate myself. That's I think like a, I think the the s- uh, sex recovery work, the addiction mm. recovery work has been super helpful in processing my trauma because I'm not isolating myself anymore I'm not sitting in shame in the dark
2: mm-hmm.
0: sitting with it um I talk about my feelings with my friends and yeah like I even with my coworkers, like I'm pretty casual about it mm-hmm. or like if I'm having a bad mental health day I just say like I'm having a bad mental health day bleh yeah yeah and I I think that's just like the way proce- how processing trauma works in general. It's not necessarily normalizing it because it's it's never normal. Mm. But it's you do accept that it's part of your life, and it's not so much of a shock every time you say it out loud.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if it was. That would be awful. Yeah. I mean, you have to go through life, and you have to be able to talk about this thing in a way that's manageable.
0: Yeah. Not only to... Manageable not only to you, but to your... Whoever you're talking to.
1: Yeah.
0: How do you make sex abuse digestible to your average audience? Wow.
2: (laughs)
1: No, I just love that sentence. How do you make sex abuse digestible to your audience? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I know that I definitely do this about something that's just like, it it was a big thing, or like talking about it, and the person I'm talking to is like, oh, I'm like, it's a thing. (laughs) Um, And I think it's important that sometimes you have those spaces for it to be hard, Mm -hmm. but it can't be all the time. Yeah, I remember someone saying you can't be fully present all the time. You need to be fully present some of the times but if you're fully present all the time that's just utterly overwhelming. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we've you were just mentioning uh, sexual recovery Um, how does that tie in
0: Oh, yeah. All this good stuff. <laughs> well, with being sexually abused for a number of years in my childhood, that kind of propelled me to this journey of not taking sex seriously. Um, for me, I was i'm an atheist but i was raised very catholic and i was raised to believe that my body was incredibly sacred and i do think that my body is sacred but n- not because a higher power deemed me clean mm-hmm. and now i'm no longer clean and now i'm no long- no longer worthy for him and no longer worried- uh, no longer worthy for my future partner and for my family and all these things um and so i just couldn't mentally deal with the fact that i- my innocence was robbed from me Mm. um, instead of accepting that i went the opposite direction and really owned the persona of, like, not caring, uh, n- not caring about sex. And so I, I pretty much slept with a lot of people to make the feeling of sex, or to make my feelings about sex as neutral as possible. And I'm, I still have to, like, deal with that to this day. Mm. The effects that, that that process had on my f- psyche sometimes it's really hard to even have sex with my partner because i'm treating it more like an act than like a like a, having sex and have or like as an intimate thing mm-hmm. because it's hard to say or it's it's hard to there's so much overlap with good things, quote unquote good things and quote unquote bad things mm-hmm. like sex is a good thing and it or it can be used for good things and it can be used for bad things and um for me i just i i had a hard I, i'm a very like black and white thinker and i had a really hard time grappling with that um so sex just couldn't be intimate for me because if it was then i had an intimate experience with my biological dad, mm-hmm. and an intimate experience with my stepdad. Plot twist: I was also sexually abused by my stepdad.
1: I was wondering. <laughs>
0: yeah. If that also yeah. Oh yeah, that was. That wasn't just like sexual abuse. That was like full coercion. Mm-hmm. Um, he was convinced he was in love with me. It was just all this crazy shit. Uh... And I was, I was like seventeen.
1: Where was your mom in all of all of these, like, with your biological dad and your son Oh. Like, where was she?
0: Oh, okay. So, with my... At the time, my mom lived... For my biological dad, my mom lived in... And my dad still lived in... Mm-hmm. And so, during the summer, I would go to his house with my brothers, and then he would wait at night, play some Disney Channel, and make me touch his dick
1: you know it is interesting like physically where your mom was but i was actually uh, wondering emotionally where was your
0: oh very tapped out i mean i think my mom has always been like this um emotionally immature she is a fantastic mother in terms of providing unconditional love mm. but she does not handle stress very well and she doesn't handle complex feelings very well mm. and to have someone that you chose to be the father of your child like you made the decision you mm. to trust this person to have a child with then abuse the child that you had with them was so destructive to her psyche um she she was definitely there for me i do remember that mm. but she cried a lot mm. um sometimes it was just like us crying together yeah. so where was she in this pretty broken my mom doesn't know about my stepdad but if she knows that'd be great that'd be pretty funny Mm-hmm. If she found out in a podcast, that's kind of my stance on it at this point. I'm not trying to protect this guy, but because my stepdad, by the way, but because he is still, still a guardian of my younger brother, who's now, I think he just started high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm letting him be a child for as long as long as I can let him.
1: So, did your mother leave your father, your biological father, because of this?
0: Oh, she left him before, but he's always been pretty perverted towards a lot of family members, Mm -hmm. apparently.
1: Oh, she left him before and you just were with your dad, but your parents weren't together.
0: Yeah, they, they um, they separated when I was in third grade, so maybe eight years old, yeah. and, um, my, oh, and my mom and my stepdad were classmates, they are both tech people, and they have been friends for, like, a, a really long time before they started dating. Mm. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm glad your mother was there for you, and... Clearly, your dad paid some consequences.
0: Yeah, he did end up in prison.
1: Yeah. Was it because of your case specifically, or was it something else?
0: It was... Yeah, it was because of that. It was also because, um, my... When I was a child, when all this was coming out, my... I was assigned these two attorneys, and... I really wanted my dad not to go to prison but to jail because he could be forced to have a therapist.
2: Mm.
0: Or maybe it's not a therapist. Maybe it's just like a counselor of sorts. I don't remember. But I really wanted... Like, I just didn't hate him. Mm -hmm. And I I was just so conflicted because I didn't know that I was allowed to love someone
2: mm-hmm.
0: who i also hate yeah um now i'm very comfortable with it. i mean i'm not always comfortable but now i've i've accepted it and i don't shame myself for having these feelings these conflicting feelings um but yeah so he, my because it was like an easier win for these attorneys they tried to give him like 2 years in jail or something um, and the judge was like, fuck that shit. 14 years in prison. Well, so, he only got four years in prison. The max sentence is 14 years. But I think he got out. And now has probation.
1: Have you interacted with him at all?
0: No, he's tried to reach out. But I, I just like the idea of him watching me be successful and be all the things that he really wanted me to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And him not getting to experience any of that with me Mm -hmm. but i do have a lot of family family members that are still in contact with him and sometimes his face or his face will pop up on social media and i'll have like a little like sharp inhale sometimes if i'm at the office i have to like leave and go for a walk but i don't have panic attacks anymore
1: And I just want to test how you're
0: doing right now. I feel okay. Like, it's definitely emotional, but it's not... Like... I'm not going to have a panic attack. Okay. It's just, like, emotional. But I I feel very present, and I feel very collected. Okay. Yeah. Not dissociating.
1: Yeah, I, uh... Because I don't want this to be a traumatizing experience a re-traumatizing experience Um, (laughs) and I know that I've learned in these that I have to have my feet on the ground oh yeah the first interview I did I did not Mm -hmm. and then I was like (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta ground yourself you gotta ground yourself so um yeah yeah I mean that's a lot and the fact that your mother married two men mm-hmm. who sexually abused you.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's why I'm so hesitant mm-hmm. to come out and say about my stepdad because it would really crush my mom.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And also, like, yeah, he's, re- he's a really great dad mm-hmm. to his own kids. Maybe not with me. But he, he did say it wasn't really his kid to justify being in love with me and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think
1: a lot of these cases happen with stepchildren. Yeah. Doesn't make it any more right, but...
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I'm going to ask what might be a hard question. Mm. Um... Because you were older by this point.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. How much older? I was 17.
1: 17. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that at least at some point you did emulate him. Mm Mm-hmm. How did you feel towards him during this time?
0: Angry. Mm -hmm. Like, really angry. um, And conflicted. I... He's still the mean caretaker for my little brother and I wanted to be in his life still and so I tried to maintain a distant relationship with him Mm -hmm. and on the other hand like I've known I've known my stepdad since I was like five and I have always viewed him as my dad and he's always, I like, he's called me his dad. Like he comes to my parent teacher conferences and my, like I call his parents, my grandparents. And I, st- I still like talk to them very regularly. Mm-hmm. So it was like really hard to finally cut him off. Mm-hmm. But with every interaction I've had with him, I would go home and just start balling And Maren would come, my partner would come and take care of me. Um, and it was just exhausting. Like I knew I had to do it at some point. It was just really hard to do it. And my partner was so sweet and supportive and patient with me. Um, and it it was just so tough for her to almost, I would go visit my little brother weekly. And so it really was like weekly at, at, at a minimum, I would just start sobbing. Mm-hmm. Also, at this point, I was, like, my dad was just released from jail, so it was just, like, ugh, so awful. Senior year, <laughs> blows. So <laughs> thankful I got a job, but holy shit, that was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, so what finally propelled me to cut him off was, uh, I don't remember why I came over. He asked me to come over, and I don't... He's, I, I don't remember what happened, but I, I knew I had to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, he has a habit of like trapping me into his, Mm -hmm. in his house and like not letting me leave until we do sexual things together. Mm -hmm. And I, I just knew I had to leave and he blocked the door of his house and, or he, like historically he had. So I, I knew I just had to like book it. Um, And yeah, I just opened the door of his house and I ran to my college, which is really close to where he lives. And yeah, that was, that was like another reason why I was still spending so much time with him was like, one, I really fucking love him. I hate him, but I love him so much because we do have so many good memories together. Mm. And I would say, like, if, if you hung out with us, me and my stepdad, there would be no questions that I was his daughter because we are so similar. Our man our mannerisms are very similar. Mm-hmm. And uh the way we come to opinions tends to be very similar. And we just hung out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when I whenever I had problems with my mom, um, just because he's always he's also had the same problems with my mom, it was like having an ally in the house
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and yeah so there's that he's also still the parent of my brother and also he's like a software engineer and i was going for computer science mm-hmm. and so i would just do my homework at his place all the time mm-hmm. and he would like belittle me a lot he would tell me i was like an idiot he would call me the r word all the time mm-hmm. um but I still just got really good results at school. And I thought I, like he told me that I needed him
2: if Mm -hmm. I wanted
0: to succeed. Um, Good to know that I cut him off and I still got a job. So all good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that, that one incident where I just was hyping myself up for cutting him off at some point, I just didn't know how it was going to happen. And he presented an opportunity by like trying to abuse me. And I, Ran off, yeah, and then he tried to contact me and blocked him. Well, I actually didn't block him because, I I just need to like make sure my brother is okay. But I, I am very, very cautious about talking to him, and he now he knows the relationship has changed, and um, I'm very quick to just cut him off, and he doesn't want to, so. He, I guess plays plays ball with me. Mm. I guess he respects my boundaries a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because he has to. Yeah.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And this time around, where was your mom
0: at? She was living at her place. Um, I was 21 at this point. Because your
1: mother and stepfather
0: aren't... Oh, they separated. separated. Yeah, they separated when I was like 17. So, Ish. yeah,
1: around the time that
0: this... Yeah, I mean, started. they separate... They, they have never had a really healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, my mom is not very stable emotionally or mentally.
2: Mm.
0: She did get... Um, she got, like, in, in... When she was a child in Vietnam, living place to place, because her ma- mom abandoned her and her dad was in a re-education camp, she lived with a family member who's had an aunt that is schizophrenic and mm. just, like, beat her with, like, a cast iron pan. Mm. And she still has, like, these this bump from it. Um, and I don't know if it did anything, but mm. my mom is definitely just not mentally. Like, she her threshold for stress is pretty short pretty low. So forgot what the question was.
1: I was just I was asking where your mom was.
0: Oh. Yeah. Just um, chilling at home. Very unaware. Honestly, I I if I could describe her in one word, it'd be very unaware. Very like blissfully unaware.
1: Yeah. And right around the time that they split up was when your dad started your
0: stepdad started to abuse you. Yeah, I mean, he's always been verbally abusive our entire lives. Yeah. But that's when he started, like, sexually grooming me. Mm. He was buying me lingerie. Mm. He bought me um, a dildo so I can use it on him. Mm. He would make me, like, when he would make me shower and, like, really scrub myself clean. Otherwise, i taste bad. Mm. Vibes.
1: That's, That's well, really hard.
0: I'll let you take a deep breath. This, this is a big one. Yeah. Well, it
1: seems like a big one for
0: you, too. Yeah, I, it, it was like a pretty awful experience. And it definitely... I think the hard... Part about my, re- my trauma recovery is that a lot of people think that the big abuse of my life is my, bi- my biological father. And, like, mm. yes, that is very true. Honestly, I don't remember a lot of it, but I am plagued with memories of my stepdad. Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: The way that we were led to all of this part of the conversation was we were talking about your sexual recovery.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll spin it back. I'll <laughs> spin it back.
1: Well, I I feel like um, this was coming up because of how it relates mm. to yeah your... to what led you to, to being in sexual recovery.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, very clearly, I have some daddy issues. <laughs> and... Yeah, I slept. And not only that, but...
1: Oh, yeah, you were talking about sleeping with everyone. Yeah. About intimacy and... Yeah. um, That would mean that you had intimacy with your biological father and your stepfather. Yeah. That was where we were. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, And still to this day, I have a hard time treating sex as more than just an activity you do. Like running. Sometimes you gotta do it. Um it's not great but sometimes it means your survival. Mm. Um and on top of that, I I I have always liked girls. My first like big crush was Hermione Granger. <laughs> um honestly Daphne from Scooby Doo. <laughs> uh, my dream girl, Vanessa Hudgens, high school musical. Uh, I don't know that one. Oh, oh, my god what a hottie um and yeah so I I always knew that I was had this thing for girls but one repression from the church that I was raised in Mm -hmm. two so much bad sexual trauma um I I was really scared that my dad's turned me gay And it would be another thing that they have control over me. And so not only did I sleep around a lot because I'm trying to, like, normalize or neutralize sex and remove any feelings towards it, but I needed some control. Mm -hmm. Um, I am, like, in sex I don't know. For me, as a cis woman, it's very easy to like have a lot of control in sex with mm. willing men.
1: So you were sleeping not just with women,
0: but with men. Well, at the time, I wasn't even sleeping with women. I didn't sleep with women until. Wait a minute, this timeline makes no sense. I think I was seventeen when I started sleeping with my girlfriend. That was still pretty. Mm. I even the, it took, but it took like a. Re- Okay, sorry. In high school, I was sleeping with a lot of people. Mm. Was I? I feel like that's true, but I don't really have memories of it, but I think I might have repressed it. Mm. But I think that's true. Um,
1: So, 17 split up sexual abuse from your stepfather mm -hmm. starting to sleep with your girlfriend?
0: Yes, but also with a lot of people. I think I cheated on her a lot.
1: And is this the same girlfriend that we've been talking about,
0: or is this someone else? This is someone else. Okay. This was someone who was much older than me. Mm. Um, I think I was 17 and, not much older, but she was 22. It's
1: a big difference at that time.
0: Yeah, I think mentally it's a big difference. Um, but we're, we're good friends. It's kind of what happens in, like, I think, the, the lesbian dating pool. You become best friends with all your exes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was a problematic relationship for sure. Mm. And let's see.
1: But it sounds like most of the people that you were sleeping with were men.
0: Oh, yeah. Actually, up until sophomore year of college, Mm. until I was dating my now partner, Marin. Um, oh, wait, no, I still wasn't. I was still cheating on her, but that's when I... That I was I still wasn't not sleeping with people. I was now committed to her, but I was still sleeping with people. Mm. Um, yeah, this the constant need to sleep with people not only for like yeah to cleanse myself, yeah. to neutralize sex, mm. to prove to me to prove to myself that I still have control over my own sexuality mm. all led to developing a sex addiction mm. or yeah i was pretty addicted to sex i'm not always addicted to sex but i was like really addicted to porn i just had to and i didn't even like porn i just like would watch it to get numb like become numb to it mm. yeah and yeah every partner i had even though i was monogamous i was still seeking sex i was still seeking relationships because i really i wanted people to like validate me and like me and then i would go cheat on them and i felt really good cheating on them
1: so you would be already cheating on your girlfriend mm-hmm. and then you would um, have relationships with these people and then you would cheat on them
0: yeah I uh, Yeah, I just I, I just like, always had someone, a handful. And if 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 I couldn't match with anybody on like Tinder, it doesn't matter because I already had all these other girls that have already were pretty desperately into me. Cause I, I had a very not an intentional strategy, or if, if it's all this this wasn't intentional at all. But I had. Uh, an unhealthy love-bombing approach, I mm-hmm. suppose. Like
1: you were talking about earlier.
0: Yeah. Um, where I literally would, like, love-bomb these girls and then get disgusted with them mm-hmm. for even liking me. or And I think that was, like, a huge part of it, too. Like, why would anybody like me? That, that, that would, like, disgust me. And, like, the like years of therapy later like sorry years of therapy later turns out it's because i hated myself so much Mm. that anyone who liked me must be a disgusting person just like Mm. all of the other men Mm. in my life who liked me and fetishized me Mm. um and that yeah so i definitely took a lot of that out on my partner like the like on so many people in my life the last person was my partner because she told me to stop and she told me to go to therapy Mm -hmm. and i did
1: how long ago was that
0: it was like right after college and four almost four years ago
1: um that you went to therapy went to uh
0: stop cheating on people yeah the cheating Mm. the cheating
1: part was that like last December okay when I I didn't know if that had happened before
0: oh yeah um it it was definitely like better like before I was like blatantly cheating on people like I told I told people I told the person I was with that I was actively seeing other people even though I knew we were monogamous um Mm. And if they got upset, then I would just leave them. Mm. Um, or I would just like lie and say that, oh, I want I do want to be with you, blah blah and mm. go cheat and then just tell them and be like, yeah, I cheated, but it's not even a big deal because sex isn't important and it's just all this is all fake. Mm. Yeah. It's just it's like a a very performative way. Mm. Um yeah, it's like reliving trauma like reliving a lot of the abuse I experienced. Yeah. Sure.
1: So yeah, yeah, it sounds like your partner made a couple of ultimatums. One about you going to therapy and working through your shit. Yeah. And then a second time of this cheating has got to stop.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've always been monogamous. Um we were dating for like a year when she first found out that i was cheating on her Mm. it was because i was so carelessly cheating that i would tell people in our friend group of funny like story that happened during sex for like one of my hookups Mm. and then i would tell mar and my partner the same story and i would just say like oh this happened to my friend during sex and then in a group chat, in, like, in, a, in one of our group chats, they're like, oh, Amanda, did this happen to you? And then that's, that was the first time that she found out, um, had to deal, do that, deal with that. And then, yeah, it just was, like, an, um, almost, like, annually, just, she, she would find out that I was actually cheating on her with, like, a bunch of people and from our lives um, we did break up fl- last year, maybe, mm-hmm. and I moved out. Um, it's it's pretty hard because during, she is chronically ill, and during the pandemic, she wasn't able to work. Um, and I'm a software engineer, so I very gladly paid for her apartment and my apartment. She was financially dependent on me. It was just like a, a like a really bad situation. Um, she definitely felt trapped in the relationship, but it was, Mm. I don't know, it was hard. Also, like, we, we were and still are, like, best friends, Mm. and, uh, yeah, it was hard. Um, but then I moved back in, because I was staying in a loft, and I broke my leg, and I couldn't climb up, go up and down the stairs because it was more like a, like a vertical staircase of sorts. Yeah. And so I couldn't get my crutches up the stairs, move back in with her, um, and she just started like taking care of me, mm. not because she's trying to get back together with me, but because she loves me, mm. and I think because there was no pressure to date, we just like, again, fell in love with each other the way we did when we first met.
2: Mm.
0: At least for me. Mm-hmm. I think she's, like, it's, with her it's really hard because I did hurt her so badly. Yeah. Um, and then we started, like, trying to work it out again. Um, but I was still cheating on her and mm. with one person. Um, did she know
1: about
0: that? At, not at the time, but she does now broke up with her, this person, and then we tried to work on our relationship, and then this other, like, that that person hit me up again, and at first I was just, like, being, trying to be, like, a friend, because mm-hmm. not very, uh... Yeah, I've, I've always been friends with my exes, and so I just tried to, like, do that. Um, mm-hmm. It was a, not the best move. And there... I didn't, like, s- physically cheat, but I definitely, like, emotionally cheated. Mm-hmm. And there were definitely, like, lots of opportunities to physically cheat that I chose not to act on. Um, Because I was trying really hard to not fall to, like, my past cravings, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, she found out because I told her. Well, she saw a message on my phone and then I came clean about everything. And that, that was, like, the last straw. It was really heartbreaking for her. Not only heartbreaking, but she's so angry yeah which understandably um I started sexual recovery and yeah it was really hard yeah well I think to admit that I need help Mm -hmm. it's always kind of hard but it was like, again, just another thing that kind of developed from the initial trauma that had occurred in my childhood. And I did a bad job, I guess, nipping it in the butt like Boy Jack Horseman, you know, <laughs> I, after I, I, I watched the show and I was like, huh, that's me.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm a naughty boy um yeah so started sexual recovery because my partner was so angry with me and had so much hatred feelings towards me Mm -hmm. but also loved me so much and even if we weren't together she just wants me to heal Because she also knows, like, a lot of my trauma. And she, we were together for, like, a lot of the unravelings of it. And she, she does have, like, an unconditional love for me. And I, like, vice versa. Um, yeah. So she looked up some stuff. Um, we talked about it during our couples therapy. And I went to my first meeting. And it was all right. It was, I was, like, in a room full of older men Mm -hmm. in their, like, 50s. -hmm.
2: And
0: then I found a more queer-leaning one that I felt represented me a lot better. And I Mm -hmm. felt a lot more comfortable sharing. Because I think, it's all intersection, inters, What's the word? Intersectionality. Yeah, intersectionality. It's all like they all intersect with each other. There is like sex recovery and there's sex recovery as a queer person and there's sex recovery as a queer person who was fetishized by the people who traumatized you. And that's that's been such a big thing for me mm-hmm. the number of white older men who have sexualized me for being a small Asian girl. Mm. I weigh, like, 100 pounds. I'm, like, 5 foot. And that, that's just such a common thing. Even in industry. Like, even in the workplace. I've had mm. to contact HR because my manager mm. is trying to sext me on Skype for business. Oh, my God. Yeah,
1: you know, I can't believe I didn't think about that. But just... You know, I know that that's true in the porn industry.
2: Oh yeah.
1: And it sounds like your stepfather had a type.
0: Oh yeah. Well, well, for sure.
1: Yeah. And you know, that, um, queer gathering is how we met. Yeah. and uh, I'm just thinking about, uh, that was the way it used to
0: be. Pretty white. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I remember that's something, like, we discussed. Yes. And yeah. that was also a thing about the first group I went to. It's all white. It was in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I got a pretty diverse group of people. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah.
1: You know, I don't think this is something that people tend to think about when they think about recovery is, um, the problems with diversity Mm -hmm. that can be really present, um, either by, um, by sex Mm -hmm. or by race or by age or, um, I'm sure class. As well. Oh,
0: for sure! Yeah.
1: Depending on, on where people might meet. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm really glad that you were able to. Find. To find awesome people, I guess. Yeah, I'm so <laughs>
0: thankful. Um, my partner found you guys. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm so thankful for her. She yeah. slaps.
1: <laughs> yeah and you guys have gotten engaged since
0: yeah we got engaged on march my yeah. birthday is in march so oh and i shared the same birthday with my stepdad and so it has always been really hard for me because we used to celebrate our birthdays together mm. um and it was like our special day and we would just like ditch the family and do just like hang out together all the time so since I cut him off it's always been like really hard mm. so yeah she surprised me she took me to Utah where High School Musical was shot <laughs> and surprised me with clothes that she got from Goodwill I was Gabriella she was Troy um we hung out went to what's what do you call a space museum
1: a space museum. <laughs> you want a space museum, maybe? <laughs> uh, it starts
0: with an A. I don't know. We'll call it a know. space museum. We'll call, yeah. Um, which because I, I love space. I think My my boxers are space themed, actually. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> and very very Calvin. Yeah. Very of Calvin and
1: Hobbes. Yeah. And very
0: too. yeah. Very Calvin esque.
1: What's the point of having? You know, what, I don't remember what it was, but like. We'll say spaceship
0: underpants if no one can see them. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's how that's how I feel. I I will just very casually wear a big t shirt and my boxers as my fit. So you can see or like sometimes I wear a skirt with my boxers so you can see like a little bit of the pants underneath. <laughs> and it's it's like dinosaur themed or space themed. Nice. Yeah, I have a very small body and so I fit I fit a lot of kids clothes (laughs) um
1: what was I saying space museum surprise
0: oh yes she proposed to me at the museum Mm. she hired a photographer because I have memory problems and she was worried I wasn't Mm. gonna be able to remember it very well and yeah we have a lot of photos that we blew up and hung on our wall so I we can remember
2: Mm.
1: That's that's a lot, and you you have been through a lot. Your your ancestors. Oh my God! Yeah, we didn't even
0: discuss generational trauma.
1: You know, you can always come back and talk about. Yeah,
0: a a part two, maybe post graphic novel.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, Because I mean, people are so full of stories that you can't just fit it into one um, or two. yeah. You, your family's been through a lot. You've been through a lot. Your uh, fiancé
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, has been through a lot. Um, yeah, I guess I'm wondering, yeah, right now, how. how has recovery affected your current life? I mean, obviously we've
0: yeah. some of them, but... Yeah, I think without recovery, I would be dead. Mm. For sure. I mean, the number of times I tried to kill myself is quite a lot. And with recovery, it wasn't just recovery of one particular addiction. It was recovery... It was re- a restructuring of how to survive the trauma Mm. um in recovery um a lot of the work that I had to do is recognize what could put me back into an unhealthy state
2: Mm.
0: and I no longer I, I don't do that for just that recovery I do I do that for like all aspects of my life um like addiction is pretty big in my family. Like I have a lot of alcoholics, have, there's a lot of drug use and I I mean I get addicted to I mean I, I'm addicted to Lego Star Wars right now, I won't <laughs> lie. And I'm and then I ha- I like found a new addiction. I'm really addicted to chess right now. Mm. Um and with my recovery I have learned to not change myself by suppressing myself, but accepting who I am as a fundamental being and Mm. leveraging it to my benefit. Mm. Um, I I think the way it has played out really well is that if I don't get, get my fix on one unhealthy thing I can get my quote-unquote fix on something really great like knocking out a project for work and like just finishing it up and Mm -hmm. yeah that that's pretty much (laughs) in college I've and throughout my whole life I've always been praised for being such a focused worker and I honestly I think it's because I have a very addictive personality and hyper-focused. yeah, incredibly hyper focused. Mm. Adderall? No. Trauma? Hell yeah. <laughs> 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 mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like in recovery, what you've been learning about is um, are the different ways that you can find. Health, so so not just avoiding being bad,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but how to push towards the good as well.
0: Yeah, a thousand percent. Mm. Yeah,
1: because I think that's the thing that has come up: um, being unclean. Being mm-hmm. um, you were talking about with the Catholic Church of like. Oh yeah. Um, you know. Oh, if you have. Sex with someone, then there's basically there's something wrong with you, or like yeah. you can't undo that, or
0: yeah, like you're unworthy for your partner, yes. you're unworthy for God. Like I know, I know in in Catholic Church, Jesus died for his sins. It's all good in the hood. You're allowed to sin so long as you repent. But how could how can you repent your virginity? like it's gone now and especially how do you how do you confess that how can you confess what you did wrong when you were a child and your father did this to you Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really thankful that my mom is Catholic but she never made me do anything like that yeah. Even though I felt like a lot of guilt relating to it, I never actually had to experience what I hear a lot of Christians have to go through post being raped. Yeah.
1: Not the way that it's supposed to go,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the way a lot of people experience it.
0: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah feel that a lot of what you were trying to do with your addiction was to solve those problems yeah About being unworthy and unclean I think you even said something about to cleanse myself yeah how do you feel about that now (laughs)
0: I think I did what I thought was necessary Mm -hmm. um and if I could go back and tell myself anything honestly I think I would just hug myself Mm -hmm. and remind myself that There's no such thing as good or bad. It's all nuanced. And you did nothing wrong. Then I think
1: that's our closing.
0: Thanks. Because I can't reach the ground, so I'm just like offering like this. <laughs> you can
2: scooch.
0: I kind of like it, it's kind of good. <laughs>